Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Indefensive Plants podcast, the official podcast of InfensivePlants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How is everyone doing this week? I hope you brought your bathing suits because today we're getting in the water. We are joined by Natalie Downey of the Chattahoochee River Conservancy, and she is here to talk to us about their restoration efforts for the Shoals Spider Lily, or the Shoal Lily, or the Cahaba Lily. It's got a lot of names depending on where you're at, but I know it is Hymenocallus coronaria, and it is an incredible species with a really interesting ecology, but unfortunately, not doing so hot. Our mistreatment of freshwater systems in the southeast has led to severe population declines for the species, but... Thanks to the work of the Chattahoochee River Conservancy, their volunteers, and a lot of their collaborators, people are doing what they can to get this species back on the landscape. I'm going to let Natalie tell you all about this species and their efforts for restoring it. It's incredible work, but before we get to that, I just want to say this show doesn't happen without support, and there's a lot of great ways to do that, one of which is picking up a copy of my book. Just head on over to indefensiveplants.com slash podcast and click on the link in the show notes, and it'll bring you right to where you need to go to buy it. Thank you to everyone that's picked up a copy thus far. It truly means the world to me, and as always, it helps keep this show up and running. But that is entirely enough out of me. I don't want to keep you from this any longer. Put on your bathing suits, get ready to get in the water, because without further ado, here's my conversation with Natalie Downey. I hope you enjoy. Right, Natalie Downey, it is so great to have you on the podcast. I am really excited to talk to you today, but first let's start off with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. Yeah, well, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your conversation today. Um, I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast and talk about a plant that's near and dear to my heart. Um, my name is Natalie Downey. I'm the interim executive director for the Chattahoochee River Conservancy. Uh, we're a nonprofit based in uh, Columbus, Georgia. Uh, working to protect and advocate for a clean and healthy Chattahoochee River. Excellent. A very noble goal. And where did this journey begin for you? I mean, were you an aquatic biologist or someone that just, uh, you know, concerned environmentalist, that sort of stuff? Where did sort of, how did you end up here? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, and it's actually kind of an interesting uh, series of events that led me here. Um, I, I'm not a biologist. I don't really have a science background. And that, um, to me, uh, speaks to how anyone can get involved in conservation. Um, it's really open to anyone who has a passion for protecting an area. Um, I have always loved water. Um, I specifically love the Chattahoochee River. I've spent a lot of time on and near the river. Um, and I do actually teach stand-up paddleboarding too. I'm a certified instructor. So nice. in my free time, you know, I spend extra time on the river. But I, um, through some connections I had, I got brought on um, as the development director at the Chattahoochee River Conservancy. Um, so I have a background in communications. Writing is really my passion. Um, I love to um, inspire people through writing, uh, or at least that's my goal. That's what I hope to do. Um, and so I was brought on to write different articles and uh, letters to our supporters, um, write for grant funding, you know, and all aspects of writing. Um, and because this isn't uh, the type of job where you can just sit in an office and, you know, really just spend time at a desk, you have to get out in the field, on the water, be a part of what 
uh, your your teammates are doing, um, even if you are there to write. So I ended up finding myself in a lot of really interesting situations, <laughs> um, even though I was brought on to write. And then over time, um, I've been there three years now, I just began to learn more and more um, in the organization. And as some of my coworkers moved on to other things, I continued to fulfill new roles. And here I am today. Nice. What a cool journey. And I'm really happy you emphasized sort of the background of just caring, right? And that's Mm -hmm. an important point to bring across, especially for an organization such as yours that cares about water and water quality, water access, that sort of stuff. And tying it back to the environment, I mean, everyone should care, right? And, And one of the best ways to take care of our water resources is by taking care of our environment. If, you know, that's too much of a stretch, stop me. But that seems like a logical leap. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Water is, is crucial, you know, and clean water, even more crucial, you know, and so it's an incredibly important thing to care. And I think that's the, the number one ingredient in conservation is to care. And um, I really have kind of felt it my personal uh, conviction that people uh, care about places they've personally connected with. Mm. And so if I've never been to a place, you know, I might not care so much about it's, um, you know, the health of that place or hopefully I would, but you know, if you think about the places you grew up on and around, um, the places where your, your fondest memories are held, those are going to be the places you really care to protect and advocate for. And with that understanding, um, I've really begun to try to develop programs to get people out on the water so that they can have a personal connection with the water and they can hopefully join us in our efforts and really foster their um, personal connection with the river. Nice. Yeah. I mean, again, a lot of times nowadays people are spending way too much time inside, probably reading about the causes they care about, but not experiencing them hand on. And you know, I, I would assume the Chattahoochee River has got a, a series of issues plaguing it. There's there's a lot of things that can probably be celebrated, but also a lot of more work to be done. Otherwise, you know, you guys could wrap up and go home. So I'm sure the ways you can get people to connect, they're all going to connect differently as well, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And there's lots of different opportunities and ways to connect, especially in our area. We do have um, a rapidly growing kayaking community. Nice. Uh, we're going to be hosting the world championships actually in October. So people will be coming from all over the world to kayak for this competition. Um, and in, in addition to kayaking, we have um, one of the longest urban whitewater rafting courses in the world. Um, the water is especially warm where we are. So that really draws people in um, because they can come practice all year long. Like I said, we have stand up paddle boarding. Uh, a lot of people like to get out and fish. So there's lots of ways to experience the Chattahoochee River. Um, and if you know people can find one that really speaks to them, then I think that they'll even have a deeper understanding of the importance of protecting it. Nice. Yeah. And uh, warm water really speaks to me personally. I'm a huge wimp when it comes to cold water. So that's that's appealing. Me too. I really don't enjoy cold water. So I'm glad that we can get in the water here most of the year and it's not going to be too cold. Nice. And so this connection really, because this is a plant podcast between plants and clean water is to me very inherent, but not directly obvious. But part of keeping Waterways Healthy is to restore watersheds, to work within the biodiversity native to that region, to get these ecosystem services working for us, right? Instead of us having to invest millions and billions into water treatment, which we still should, uh, you know, nature's doing a lot for us. But part of that is 
making sure that there is a healthy, thriving plant community. And y'all have taken on a really important project involving one of the coolest plants I have ever encountered in my time on this planet, which is saying a lot. Uh, and it's the reason we connected today. Now, it goes by many names. So I'm going to let you introduce uh, based on the name that you know, uh, and, and that'll help make some familiarity uh, for the topic itself. Yeah, definitely. So this plant, like I said, is really near and dear to my heart. Um, and it plays a really important role in the ecosystem of the Chattahoochee River. Um, its name, its scientific name would be Hymenocallus coronaria. Um, we call it the shoal spider lily. Some people call it the rocky shoal spider lily. I'll probably refer to it in the podcast as just the spider lily. Fine. Um, because that is kind of just an easier shortened version. But here uh, we specifically would either say the spider lily or to be a little more specific, the shoal spider lily. Excellent. And having finally seen it in person, it is absolutely remarkable. But I remember a, a local telling me, at least in that region, they said, you know, we'll get calls every year. People saying, oh, my gosh, I found the shoal lily. And it's it's another type of spider lily. So this one really, when you see it, it stands out. It's distinct, right? It, 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 even for a person that's not well versed in plant identification. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's unforgettable once you spot it. Um, you, you wouldn't be able to miss it. It's got really beautiful, big white blooms, um, tall, really lush green stalks. Um, and it's just really uh, unique and, um, and just mind blowing to see it kind of in its habitat, um, especially in the urban area where we've been working to plant it. So you definitely can't miss it. We have people every year call us and ask, uh, when is it going to bloom? And the cool thing is that it blooms around Mother's Day. So we've been able to plant some in honor of special loved ones for people as well. Um, but it's just a really beautiful, unforgettable plant. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. Again, any way you can connect people to it. But, you know, you mentioned the habitat and that to me is by far the easiest way to determine whether you're looking at like, are you standing on dry land? It's probably not <laughs> the shoal lily. So right. what is special about its habitat related to, you know, where you're at, but across its range, really? Um, so the shoal lily is an aquatic plant. Um, it is a perennial flowering plant. Um, and its habitat, it's very specific. Um, it really specifically thrives in the rocky, or you could say, you could call it shoals, um, which is where it got its name, moving water. Mm. Um, so it likes full sunlight. It likes to be in rivers, creeks, and streams where the water is moving. And it likes to be in kind of a rocky soil. Um and so that is a very specific habitat that the shoalily needs and thrives in. Um, and then another thing about it that's really interesting is that it, it's, it's an actually a really rare plant. Mm. Um, so it's a species that's endemic to the southeastern United States. Um, and it only grows in three states. Um, it grows in Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. So it's not something you'll see just anywhere. You've really got to find the specific rivers or creeks that it grows on. Um, to be able to experience this plant. Yeah. And you are very lucky to have it not only in, you know, its habitat, but like you said, in an urban area. I know in a lot of places you kind of have to get out into some of these untouched stretches of river or well, relatively untouched comparatively mm -hmm. speaking, but it's a really special thing to have this so close to such a dense population center and it's, it's still on the landscape. Yeah. So it's definitely, um, I think it's extremely unique to have it in our area. I think we're extremely lucky 
um, to be one of these states where uh, it's naturally occurring. Um, but unfortunately, that's also part of the reason that we are having to restore the plant in the first place on the Chattahoochee River. And I know we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but the urban population and the growth of Columbus and the hydroelectric dams all unfortunately caused us to almost lose this plant completely on the Chattahoochee River in the stretch that we are restoring now. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that's the case for the species across its range. Our mistreatment of our freshwater ecosystems <laughs> has largely led to its decline and, and really extirpation in a lot of areas. But from the Conservancy's perspective, is this a recent involvement? Is this something that kind of set the groundwork for where the organization began? Like, how long have you all been involved working with this species in particular? So we began our restoration project in 2015. Okay. Um, and I came um, to work for the Chattahoochee River Conservancy in 2020. So I've been helping with the restoration project since then, but it does extend back uh, beyond before I came into my position. Um, so I would say it's it's a fairly new project, but it's not brand new. We've definitely got several years under our belt. Um, and what enabled us to begin the project and to begin talking about the restoration was that two of the dams that were altering the habitat and causing the shoalilies to go away, um, those two dams were removed. And oh. once they were removed, the habitat was, in a sense, restored to a more natural flow, um, restored to a more natural state. And then we saw the opportunity to restore the shoalilies and um, you know, that we once again had the right kind of a habitat where we could see them thrive. Wow. That's remarkable. Yeah. I'm really in support of any dam removal project done ethically done wisely. Right. And that's one of the benefits on the other side of these projects is the amount of habitat it, it restores or recreates and, and so to speak. But is this something, you know, when we talk about connecting people to the landscape, especially the river, is this something, you know, your constituency, like, were they familiar with this plant? Were locals remembering it and then it disappeared? Like what was sort of the attitude towards it or has been? Are people very affinitive or is it something you really have to work to kind of reintroduce people to in the area? I would say it's the latter. Um, we've really had to kind of reintroduce people um, because before it was almost completely eradicated, we had the man-made dams for quite a while. I don't know that many people really knew or realized what we were losing because of those dams and because of the altered habitat. Maybe some people who were here long ago and remember the original state of the river potentially, but I think it was, um, you know, something that we kind of stumbled upon that it was, a, we, we originally had one of the largest, if not the largest population in the world mm. of Shololis. And, um, you know, this is kind of before I came into my position. So how those conversations went, I'm not exactly sure when sure. we realized that this was something we'd all we've almost lost and we need to see if we can restore it. Um, but I know that those conversations were had with um, multiple people across the community who were very involved in um, conservation and involved with the river. Um, but we've definitely gotten the word out to our community that this we're incredibly lucky to have this plant. Um, and it's something that to be excited about is something to be proud about. We're working to restore it. We're really excited about the progress we've made. Mm. And as the 
the program has really grown and evolved, we've had a lot of people really take interest. In fact, I would say this is probably the program that we uh, do that people seem the most interested in and the most excited about. We get a lot of calls. A lot of people want to volunteer to help with the planting projects. Um, A lot of people come from all over to see them when they're in bloom. So people are really excited about this project. But I think that has been an evolution as people have, you know, we've really worked to raise awareness where, where, you know, maybe people didn't know. Um, And one of my passions is speaking with children. So I love to go into schools and tell children, you know, all about the show lilies and how lucky we are to have them. They're so rare. People come from all over to see them and really kind of try to spark an interest, um, you know, while they're young so that hopefully they'll grow up and be really proud of where they live and help us out with our conservation efforts. Yeah. Got to kind of catch the now and the future of everything. But, you know, to kind of keep in that vein of thinking like what about your evolution on the project because like you said you didn't come in with necessarily like a biology or restoration background how has your understanding and kind of relationship with the project grown because to me that's the most fascinating thing is seeing someone kind of blossom into this world of like hey i'm putting species back on the landscape and it's a great message to send others you don't need to like bury yourself in years of schooling to get into this sort of stuff in this niche field uh you can be a passionate citizen and get involved in a lot of different ways Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we definitely have people, especially people related to or involved with our Columbus State University locally. Um, We have an environmental um, program there. So we have definitely have people deeply, you know, educated and involved in environmentalism who have come alongside us with this project. But, you know, for someone like me who doesn't really have a background in that, it's definitely been an evolution. And um, I kind of learn best anyways with ha- my hands on, you know, getting dirty in the soil and, you know, just just putting my knowledge into practice. That's the best way for me to learn. But, you know, I've it's evolved from, you know, me going on my first raft. We have to take rafts, you know, out to the middle of the river to plant these shoal lilies. And so going on my first rafting trip, not really knowing what to expect. You know, we're geared up. We've got helmets and PFDs and paddles and we're having to do the work of getting down the river. We have a guide and everything. But then we're kind of uh, parking our raft in the prime spots for planting. And then, you know, we get shown exactly how to plant, where to plant, what the optimal, you know, specific soil types are where to look for, you know, the, the right rocks and crevices to plant them in. And I, I came into that not knowing any of that mm. um, on my first trip. And and I've, now at this point, I honestly couldn't count how many shoals I've planted personally. <laughs> I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But it's a lot. And um, I mean, over a thousand at least. Wow. And I don't know how many trips I've taken, but I've definitely become to feel personally familiar with this plant like it's it feels like an old friend you know um and to go back especially and see ones that I remember planting in this area and they're thriving and they're flowering now and they're producing seeds you know that is a really fulfilling and you know exciting thing to see so it's definitely been an evolution for me um you know, with my writing grants and things like that, it's been important for me to understand the project, to be able to put it into words, but to really have that hands-on experience really makes it hit home. You know, it becomes a something I have personally had my hands involved with. I want to protect this plant even more now. 
you know, I want to see it thrive. I want my kids to get out on the water and I want to be able to say, look, I planted that or I was a part of that. I was a part of that project. And so it's definitely something that makes me really proud. I'm really lucky to be, have been able to be a part of it. And I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing this plant continue to thrive on our river and the population to become self-sustaining. That is so cool to hear. And I want to take a moment to really celebrate that fact that you get to actually go out and see the fruits of your labor succeeding. I know so many people working in rare plant conservation, and it's hard enough to get these things into cultivation to beef up the numbers. It's even harder to get them back out on the landscape in a way that's successful. So to hear that is so encouraging because we're, we're so stuck on the sad part of it, the losing it, the damming of the rivers, the mistreatment of the rivers. To know that something can come back and, and something so rare and precious and valuable can come back is such a story that needs to be elevated. Yes, I mean, it absolutely can. It can come back and there's still hope, I think, you know, in, in spite of, you know, news and things you hear that seem really discouraging, you know, there is still hope. We just have to care enough to get back out there and put in the time and the effort and the energy and, you know, to inspire our kids and and the children out there to grow up, to also care, to continue what we've started. Um, And so I don't think it's too late, but, uh, you know, I do think apathy is not an option. You know, we have to care. We have to get out there and continue in spite of, you know, maybe setbacks or just, just disappointing, you know, events, we have to continue our work. And so, you know, this year, just as an example, we had we lost a lot of our shoal lily um, baby plants. So mm-hmm. they weren't in the river yet. They were still at the nursery where they are tended to until they're ready to be put in the river. And we lost a lot of those. Uh, we had a really hard freeze over the winter. We're not really used to that in this region. And so we just really weren't prepared to we, the plants weren't uh, sufficiently protected at the nursery. And it's not really anyone's fault. It's just we weren't prepared for that. So we lost, unfortunately, a good bit of them, but we planted all of the ones that we were able to this year, um, just about a month ago. And so we're just going to continue pushing forward and looking forward to next year when we'll have even more to plant. Nice. I mean, I trust me from hearing from a lot of friends in the Southeast, uh, you weren't the only ones to lose valuable things during that frost event. Yeah. That weird year, weird weather patterns you know, climate change, doing weird things, who'd have thought, but, um, you know, the other side of this too is encouraging that, you know, like you said, there's not this legacy of remembering it. Maybe some people do, but a lot of people don't. And to hear people rallying behind it, wanting to get involved, the interest that you hinted at of, of just being part of this project is also really encouraging because I think there's a larger sentiment that pe- people think plants are boring. And, and going back to what you said about writing, it's just getting them to care. And it's not that people are antagonistic. They just might not know about it. And, you know, mm-hmm. you could be rallying behind a muscle or a fish or something to that effect, which is cool, too. But to hear people getting jazzed about a plant and restoring it to this landscape is also really, really encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. It's really important, you know, that we kind of stress that every single part of the ecosystem has a role to play. Um, it doesn't matter how small it is or seemingly insignificant. Every single part plays a role. And when you lose even just one player in that entire wheel of, you know, important roles that they play. When you lose just one member, you know, you can have effects that ripple down in a lot of different areas. 
And so the shola lily is, is not unlike anything else in the ecosystem. It has a very important roles that it plays and many benefits that it brings to our ecosystem. Um, it, it's endemic, you know, it's supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's something that we've really tried to stress. And I try to stress even to children in schools is that every single part of the ecosystem has an important role that it plays. Um, and so it's no different with the shawl lily. Yeah. Yeah. I love that sentiment too. And so to think about it from the restoration perspective, you know, you've kind of hinted at a few aspects of this. You're starting from seed, you're working in a nursery. So when you're looking to go get more seeds to germinate, where are you going? How do you source the seeds to even begin this process? So we have um, permission to access a private creek where the seed, the plants are just in abundance. I mean, it's what I imagine the Chattahoochee River probably looked like originally um, when we had one of the largest populations in the world. They're just everywhere. And it's an amazing sight to see. And we're allowed to go on this creek and collect seeds. Um, We collect them around June or July. um, And we had to go out there this year. The water was really high. We got out there about to our waist. And we're just, we have these gallon Ziploc bags and we're just collecting as many seeds as we can filling up the bags. Um, we, we've, like I said, we've gotten permission from the owner of the Creek to do that. And then we're able to take the seeds back to nearly native nursery where we partner with, um, Jim and Debbie who own nearly native. Um, it's in Fayetteville, Georgia, and we take the seeds back there. They go through a germination process. And as soon as they're ready to be potted up, we put them into pots and then we have to wait about a year. Um, Once their sprout is sufficient and established, we're able to go ahead and plant them in the river. And we normally do that in the summer months. So Mm. June, July, August is when we plant them in the river, um, the ones that are ready. And then, you know, we continue to keep track of them. We have a counting trip that we do every year around May. And that's when we can go out and count um, as many lilies as we can find um, just to kind of see how our progress has come along um, since the last summer. And we were able to count over a thousand this year. Um, So that was a very... um, encouraging number and we have planted probably over 10,000 so you might think well you've planted so many but you know but you're only counting a thousand but that's actually great you know we're really excited about that progress and we have to account when we do one of the reasons we plant so many is because we have to account for the fact that some are going to get washed away um, you know adverse things are going to happen to some of them and we're really excited that there were a thousand this year that were happy successful um you know, just doing their thing on the Chattahoochee River. Yeah. I mean, those numbers are great from someone that's, you know, in the thick of this all the time. I I really want to emphasize a thousand is a really great rate to start, you know, a population from basically nothing. Um, Right. Before we go further, though, it really took seeing your website to actually see the seeds of this thing. Given the family, I was thinking these like hard black BB type things. Uh Uh, Not at all. Right. They're kind of like weird green beans. Right. Yeah, yeah, they're green little pods. They kind of remind me of like large edamame. Um, that's what I always think about when I see them. Um, but yeah, they're kind of like these green uh, pods. They're very cool. Um, they just they just look very vibrant. And uh, that's what we collect when we collect the seeds. And then once we plant them, they're actually bulbs with stalks, with green stalks. Uh, we, the stalks are about six inches long when we plant them. Um, so, and then we just dig down and bury the bulb in the rocky sand and 
kind of set rocks around them to help keep them in place. That was my next question is, you know, I'm picturing trying to plant things in like an aquarium and that's difficult underwater. But here you are in the wild in a weird sort of rocky shoaly habitat with flowing water. I mean, is it it's you got to come away from that day or a couple of days just really tired (laughs) from (laughs) fighting currents and trying to make it work all day. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is a long day. We usually go um like I said, in the summer months, so it is a long, hot day on the water. Um, we end up spending, you know, the majority of the day um, planting. So we'll take our raft out. And uh, there is a certain kind of technique we have for digging down because it is hard to dig deep enough in the rocky soil. Um, in some areas, harder than others. But we kind of have these little uh, trowel, I, I like to call them, that we uh, kind of dig down with. We have enough for all of our volunteers. And usually the owners of Nearly Native Nursery come along with us on our planting trips. They're very invested in the project. And so they like to give tips, you know, on how to dig, what to look for, um, the best types of areas to plant them in. And then we kind of just spread out um, with our handful of lilies and we'll all go out and dig and plant and then we'll kind of reconvene. And so, and then we'll get back on our raft and go a little bit further down the river and find another spot that looks good. And we'll get out and do the same thing there. And so it is kind of a long day. Um, but it's a very satisfying day. It's very fulfilling and you definitely, um, leave, you know, feeling very invested in the project and very proud, you know, of what you've accomplished. Nice. Yeah. I mean, Nothing good comes easy or something to that effect. But, you know, how long of a stretch of river are you targeting for what's been done so far? I mean, is this are you starting to see where like, OK, this area seems to support them a little bit better than this area? Or you know, what are some of those repairing yeah. characteristics looking like? So the river, it's about a 2.5 mile stretch. Um, and we definitely have areas we prefer um, because either the accessibility is better there or we've really felt like the Shololi seem really happy in these areas. So we definitely have areas we prefer. And then sometimes when we're going out on trips, we'll also scout, you know, to see if there are new areas that we could try next time. So we might kind of mark um, mentally or maybe on our actual map and just say, okay, next time we go out, we're going to see about, we're going to try planting here and see what happens, see if they seem to like it here. Um, There are definitely lots of great areas all along that 2.5 mile stretch. Um, Just this summer, we planted in a new spot on that stretch. Um, So we had noticed it when we went out on our counting trip in May. And we were like, you know, that looks like a good spot. We should try to plant there next time we plant. And so we did go out um, not that long ago and we remembered the spot. So that's where we planted the ones we had. Nice. That's a really interesting thing too, is just thinking about you know, just because there is river there doesn't mean it's going to always work. And to know that, you know, the instincts are getting better because it really does kind of be one of those things where you're like, I just mm-hmm. don't want to see it after a while. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely there. There's a learning curve and that we knew that was going to be the case when we started the project. But there's definitely a learning curve of realizing some of the spots that we thought were good and they really ended up not being that great or, you know, finding that they really seem happy in other spots. And, you know, based on the level of population we're trying to restore, we have plenty of spots still, you know, to plant, you know, that we're hoping that will just be an abundance in the areas where they're growing. Um, so it's definitely been kind of a trial and error. Um, 
And we are still a dam controlled river on that stretch. So even though two of the dams were taken out and we have restored a more natural flow, um, there is still a dam that controls the level of flow in the river. And so in the winter months, we'll have, you know, a lot of flooding. Um, and then even sometimes throughout the year, we'll have kind of maybe some unexpected, really high water days. And that has been one of the challenges for the lilies, um, has just been the fluctuation of water flow and level. Um, and so we've kind of had to take that into account and work with that. So when we do go out and plant, you know, we try to remember, okay, well, when the water's at high flow, where will this spot be? And do we think that they'll be safe here, even when the water is flowing high? Um, and so we have to kind of take that into account as well when we choose the spots where we plant. Wow. Yeah. A lot of factors to consider there, but you know, I think it's one of those things where the more people getting out there and seeing how special it is, kind of learning about the project, you know, maybe there can be bigger conversations from a municipality perspective or wherever kind of perspective of like, how, how can we get the best of both worlds, right? Because like, obviously, dams serve a purpose, but we can probably do them better for ecosystems like this. Yeah, definitely. There, there are a lot of ongoing conversations, I think. Um, and I think it's exciting that we have definitely kind of cultivated a group of people who really care about the river and really want to see, you know, the all, all levels of its ecosystem thriving, you know, so that's a great start. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine too, like the recreation element of the river really helps in your favor, provided there's some education campaigns about like, hey, don't go pulling them or maybe don't like run them. I don't know if motors are really a thing in those sorts of habitats, but like it's easier for people to connect with something like that than something in some like, you know, they have to hike 20 miles out into some wilderness area to to actually see it. Yeah, definitely. So we have, um, I'm not exactly sure how long, but we have a river walk that kind of just extends alongside the river and it's just where people will bike or people will walk. Um, and that provides great access to view the shawl lilies. So you don't even have to get in the river or really be, um, too far away from the city to see them. You can just, they're visible from the river walk, which is, you know, a well-known kind of recreational trail, um, through the middle of our city. And so I think that's really cool that, you know, families, children, uh, any people in wheelchairs, you know, anyone who wants to get out there and take a look at them can see them from different uh, spots along the river walk. And that definitely the visibility does help, you know, people get curious. And I mean, it helps us to raise awareness about it. Um, I really haven't seen any kind of um, mistreatment of the shoal lilies. Um, personally, I've mostly just seen people who are really excited about it and want to know how they can get involved and be a part of the project. So, um, you know, it definitely seems like for the most part, people are really taking pride in it and it's giving them something to get out and look for, you know, and, and kind of anticipate. So, you know, it gets people right next to the water, which is kind of our goal also, in addition to protecting the river. That is so wonderful to hear. And again, you're doing it in an area that, you know, it's it's not wilderness. You're, you're doing it in an urban area. You're re creating new memories so people can, you know, it might have been forgotten, but it's back now and and go out there, go out there and appreciate it and, and celebrate it. Because it is truly special. And you, I think you might have mentioned it. Some of the plants that have already been planted are flowering, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh. We've had several years of flowering now. Um, so, you know, that's always a really exciting event. It, and they flower for about a month, from about Mother's Day to Father's Day. So that gives people time to get out there and take a look at them. Um, people love to send us pictures, you know, when they do see them and tag us in their pictures and stuff like that. So that's always really exciting. 
That's cool. And so with that in mind, you know, thinking about the listeners, people in the Southeast might want to travel or coming through the area, is there anything people can do to really help the mission of of not just restoring the lily, but, you know, the Chattahoochee River Conservancy in general? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are a nonprofit, so, you know, people can always, in you know, donate to support our work. Um, everything that we do is funded through donors, um, local donors, or, you know, sometimes we have organizations that will give us grants. So that's always a great way that you can support us. We do also have social media. We have Facebook and Instagram, so you can follow us and you can share, you know, with your friends and your loved ones, what we're doing, kind of get the word out and spread the word for us so that, you know, hopefully we can just continue to increase support um, for our projects. Um, and then we do have opportunities for volunteers to come out and help us. So anyone who's local, you know, can contact us. Um, we have a website, ChattahoocheeRiverConservancy.org with information about how you can sign up to volunteer or information about how you can donate. Um, or if you have any questions, you can reach out and contact us. That's excellent. Yeah. Great presence online. Very easy to find. And again, you're offering pictures that I've never seen. So that's saying something, which is really cool. But Natalie, before I let you go, I I have one of the most difficult questions I'm probably going to ask you. During your time working with this project or others and being out on the river, is there an experience or an encounter that really stands out to you that really kind of encapsulates like you kind of when you're laying in bed, you go, ah, that this makes it all worth it. Has there been one that you can kind of isolate and tell us about or no? That's a really good question. Um, we see lots of wildlife, you know, tons of blue heron, um, which are always just breathtaking to see. Um, and when we went out this um, year to collect seeds, uh, the, the creek that we collected seeds from was in a really high flow um, state. So it was challenging because we didn't expect that. Um, we ended up having to get out in the middle of the creek up to our waist to collect seeds. And I mean, this might sound a little silly, but I like to talk to plants. Um, <laughs> You're in good company. So <laughs> that's good. Uh, so I just kind of, as I was just maneuvering this creek and just walking upstream, you know, trying not to trip and fall and completely go under with my <laughs> bag of seeds, I was just really thanking the plants and explaining to them that, you know, we wanted to to collect their seeds and we were going to, you know, take good care of them and we were going to plant them in the river and um, I don't know. I just felt really connected with the plant. It was a beautiful day. It just was so nice in the Creek and I felt really connected to the plants. It was nice and quiet out there. And I just felt like this is what, you know, this is the whole point of this. This is what we're doing this for. And, uh, that, that was just kind of an interesting and neat experience for me. Um, this was actually the first year that I got out and collected seeds. I've been involved in every other aspect of the project except that one up until this year. So I think I was really kind of blown away by how beautiful the creek was. I wasn't sure what it would look like out there um, and how absolutely majestic it looked to just see tons and tons and tons of shoal lilies as far as my eye could see just everywhere you know, like they owned that Creek. <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was a beautiful and really inspiring site because it kind of gave me a vision for what we would like to see, um, on the stretch where we're planting the shawl lilies. So I kind of had a visual representation of like, this is what we want to see when we go out and walk on the river walk or go out and raft. We want to see just 
tons of shololis just happily thriving like they were supposed to be here, you know, because mm-hmm. they were, they are supposed to be there. They were originally there, they're there before we were, you know, so it was, it, that was kind of a, a neat point of connection with the plants where I really felt, um, I don't know, full circle, like here I am collecting seeds and I know exactly what we're going to do with them and we're going to take good care of them and everything. So I would have to say that that was a really cool moment for me. That is awesome. I love it. And and what a great way to kind of end on a high note. But Natalie, thank you so much for your time and really for all of the effort you, the Chattahoochee River Conservancy and all your volunteers are putting in to bring the species back, put it on the landscape and connect people to the river in a multitude of different ways. Um, you know, thank you so much for everything you do and, and for taking time to talk with us about it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share a little bit about this project. And, you know, I'd have to say thank you to Nearly Native Nursery because they have put in so much work, you know, and this is really, you know, near and dear to their hearts as well. And uh, Whitewater Express is another um, partner that we've had with this project. They help get us out on the water. They help get us rafts and guides and navigate the all the whitewater in the area. So we've definitely had a lot of support in the community and everyone that's come out and helped plant, you know, show lilies out there with us and they've given us their time and their energy, you know, just to see these plants surviving and thriving on the river. It's really been a group effort and I'm really thankful for everyone who's raised awareness like you're doing and just helped us out with support. Of course. Well, hey, it takes a village quite literally. <laughs> so But again, thank you so much for your time and your efforts. And uh, yeah, keep in touch. Any successes or anything you want to talk about, you're welcome back on. Absolutely. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. All right. Remarkable stuff. Such important work. I can't emphasize that enough. And I really thank Natalie for taking time out of her busy schedule to talk with us about this incredible plant. If you have never seen the species in person, make the pilgrimage to do so. You can find it in parts of Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. Sometimes you got to get wet to see it, but in many places you don't, and it's well worth it. It is so cool and so unique. As always, you can find all of the relevant links over in the show notes at indefensiveplants.com slash podcast. And while you're over there, look at all of the ways you can support the show. As I mentioned at the beginning, you can pick up a copy of my book. You can also purchase some of our customizable merch and stickers. You can also become a patron over at patreon.com slash plants and get some cool kickbacks in the process. Whichever way you choose, it helps keep the show up and running because I couldn't be doing it without support. So thank you to everyone that's kicked in thus far. But that is entirely enough out of me for this week. I thank you all for listening. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and keep checking back in. But until next time, hang in there, stay healthy, and get outside if you can. This is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone. <laughs>